folks, and welcome to Christ in Every Word, a podcast of the Concordia Bible Institute housed on the beautiful campus of Concordia University, Wisconsin. This is your opportunity to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the sacred scriptures with me, Dr. Brian German, Associate Professor of Theology here at the University and the Director of the Concordia Bible Institute. We are making our way through the apocalypse. The book of the Apocalypse, that is, the book of Revelation, chapter 11, is on the docket today. I think I mentioned last time, this chapter really goes hand-in-hand with uh, chapter 10. I might make references to that as we go along, but, I mean, keep that in mind first thing first. Chapter 10 and 11 really go together. 10, I take to be, as you heard last time, The life of the church from the perspective of the individual, chapter 11, life in the age of the church uh, from the more uh, corporate perspective. And again, I'll I'll make allusions and say more about that chapter 10 connection as we go along. But chapter 11, another one, uh, chapter 10 is one of my favorites. 11 is very good, too. And uh, as you'll hear here, uh, we uh, are going to get the seventh trumpet we've, we've been waiting for. We've had seven the seven seals, right? And the seventh seal leads into seven trumpets. We had the first six, but where's the seventh? We've been waiting for chapters, uh, a couple chapters already. We had the sixth and the fifth and the sixth trumpet in chapter nine. But again, we it's one of those interludes where you have to go through 10 and 11 before you finally get the seventh trumpet. So anyway, kind of getting ahead of myself. Let's go ahead and read that text and uh, we'll go from there. So the text of Revelation chapter 11 reads as follows. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there, but do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months, and will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours out from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some of the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. They went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. 
And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the Ark of the Covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightnings, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Alrighty, so there we have the text of Revelation chapter 11. Love this chapter. Again, love 10 as well, and they go together so very well. After John is told, take and eat the scroll, which uh, it was sweet to the taste but bitter to the stomach, We're gonna, and I think I mentioned that, then we get into this um, activity of measuring the temple and then speaking the word. I'm going to tie these together, but kind of keep that in mind. John was just fresh off of take, of, take and eat. Um, it's going to be sweet in his mouth, bitter in his stomach. Then what happens? John is given, this is a very personal thing, it sounds like. Again, to me, it was given to me a reed as a staff, which, I mean, that alone is kind of, okay, this is uh, what, think old school, uh, Moses and Aaron, the staff that bud, this staff that's placed in the, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, okay, um, this is kind of a, you know, kind of throwback to the Exodus times, a reed, staff, okay? You get the sense of what? Wilderness journey. You get the sense of priestly stuff. You get the sense of, okay, um, a reed. Actually, I mean, a reed is what they used in our Lord's Passion. So he's given this reed as a staff, all right? And, uh, and he's told, rise up. That's literally the, the thing here. And measure the temple of God and the altar and the ones worshiping in it. Kind of a big deal. Why is this the next thing after what we just finished? This is, why do you measure anything? I mean, measuring something, that's also kind of a rich, like, tabernacle, temple kind of thing. This is the measurements of the curtains and the hooks and the, right, the outer court. They measured this and so on. Why do you measure anything? Well, you learn something about the thing by measuring it. You learn its length, but that already existed. So if something's 22 inches wide, it was 22 inches wide before you measured it, but you measured it to learn something about that. You're learning something about the object from a particular perspective. One would be from the perspective of length, tape measure, and so on. Why would you measure the temple and the ones worshiping there with this staff or reed that's given to you? Well, this is great stuff. Rise up, this language of daily, rise up. Measure the temple of, the, of God. Look at God's dwelling place from the perspective of what he has given you, his good gifts. The staff, by the way, is, you know, Moses has a staff, and the Lord does amazing things through that staff, through the one who holds the staff. Hold the, raise your staff up, and, you know, the waters will be split and all that sort of stuff. This is something that, uh, what, signifies, represents the office into which Moses, Aaron, and so on have been placed. Um, the fact that it's not them, but they're standing in the stead and by the command of someone. It's the, the stuff of, of uh, the Lord's things, the Lord's liturgical things, his word, his sacraments, his office. 
okay, look at the church from the perspective of the things that I give you, right? If you look at the church from the perspective of the empty pews, you might get a little worried, for example. What about de- declining? What about demographic changes and the, the declining attendance here and so on? Look at it, measure it, view every aspect of it from the perspective of the things that I give to you, from my word, from my sacraments, from the office of the ministry. Look at that temple, look at my dwelling place, from that perspective, not even the gates of hell will prevail against it if you're worried about it lasting. Okay, also measure the ones worshiping in it. Hey, hold still. Get over here, little Billy. i got to measure you. <laughs> um, measure that. Look at them from the perspective of what my word says about them. Measure them from the perspective of the things that I get. What if you don't feel all that, you know, Uh, inspired or enlightened after a church service. Well, measure yourself, look at yourself from the perspective of the things that I've given you, the standard by which uh, I've, I've placed upon your tongue, body and blood, waters of baptism, the word, the office. That's how you view the church. That's how you view the ones worshiping in it. That's how you view, uh, what the situation when you hear bad news about it and so on um but do not measure the court outside the temple leave that out for it's given over to the nations they will trample the holy city for 42 months this is kind of a weird moment where it's like wait don't measure don't there's gonna be a part of this what the church's life the church's existence the outer court of the this is kind of a, an interesting word here. It's used only here in the book of Revelation. The temple, the tabernacle, they have this outer court. Only certain people could go there. John here is expressing through this, this angel that's working with John here. Um, leave that out. Literally cast it off, The this word for cast out. That part is given over to the nations. They'll trample it. A part of the church's existence will be suffering persecution there's a part of it that is given over to the nations. This is part of God's ultimate like providential care and plan and purpose in Revelation. And that is there's even in the midst of what's given over to the nations who trample the holy city for 42 months. I'll talk about that time in a second. Even that is going to be worked for his glory, worked for the the upbuilding of the church. We'll see this again and again throughout Revelation, even in this chapter. That even the suffering, the persecution, the trampling that the church undergoes has been ordained by God for him to accomplish his good purposes, to strengthen faith, to draw the the church more closely to himself. Um, it's all in his hands, and we get an indication of this. There's a part of our existence as church that will be trampled on. But even that is the persecution, the affliction, and so on that we see elsewhere here and elsewhere in Revelation. Even that is in the Lord's hands to work through to accomplish his good purposes. We're going to see more about that as we as we go along. 42 months, oh my goodness, what a weird time frame. Um, it's the same thing as three and a half years. Same with the 1260 days. Weird stuff, but they, they're three and a half years. 42 months, or the 1260 days, another way of saying that. Why three and a half years? It's a broken seven. It's a half of seven. It means not the full deal. Um, seven in Revelation, that's the big number. That's the Vegas number. That's the all-encompassing number. 
three and a half is that's not the end deal. That's just part of the church's life. That's just the age of the church right now. But there will be more to say about the church's existence into eternity. Three and a half is like this is the age of the church right now. So the 42 months is your time is set. There's a segment of time for this trampling, but it's not the full deal. It will have its end. I will grant authority to my two witnesses. They'll prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. I love this verse, and we'll probably have to take a break after this. But my two witnesses, now that alone, who are the two witnesses? And as you heard read, these are the two olive trees, the two lampstands. I'll say more about that soon. But first, why two witnesses? Well, this is an old school biblical thing, and that is everything must be established on the testimony of two or three witnesses. You get this a sense of this what? Jesus says, uh, you know, where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of them, or, you know, this kind of two or three. Well, who are these two witnesses? Big debates and so on. The two witnesses, this is also the church. This is the church's life witnessing. Certainly it's going to include pastors proclaiming the word. It's also going to include the word spoken from Christians one to another. The two witnesses here throughout Revelation stands for the witnessing feature of the church. The fact that the church has been called upon to bear witness to the reality of Christ and what the church has been made to be in Christ. I'm going to give authority to my two witnesses. They will prophesy, again, this speak the word. Elsewhere in Revelation, this language of prophet is kind of rich. Um, they will prophesy. We saw this in the previous chapter, another one of these connections to chapter 10, um, verse 7. Um, just as announced to his servants, the prophets, the prophets, this certainly John has a distinct role as someone in the office of the ministries and evangelists, but at the same time, there is this prophetic aspect to the church at large insofar as it's been given to speak God's word. So I will grant authority to my church. They will speak my word through the age of the church, clothed in sackcloth, because they will remember that uh, when our Lord said repent, he willed the whole life of one to be one of repentance. You will know the church. You walk into the divine service. What's the first thing? By nature, sinful and unclean, I've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. You'll know the church by the sackcloth, by the testimony that's always uh, going forth about the significance of repentance in this business of what does it mean to be a church? Repentance, reflecting repentance will be essential, will be huge. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Our John the Baptist, our Lord, they all started with this. We do our divine service starting with this. This is key characteristic of the church, clothed in sackcloth. Again, first of the 95 theses, repentance. Uh, confession of sins before the absolution and forgiveness in Christ. This is huge to what the church is, and that's the sense of what you get here in Revelation 11, 1 to 3. We're going to take a quick break, but we're going to pick it up with these two witnesses in just a moment. We'll be back in just a moment to the Concordia Bible Institute podcast. In the meantime, I'd like to have you consider this question. What is most important in higher education? How do you prioritize all the knowledge to be gained at an institution of higher learning? Concordia University, Wisconsin, located on the shores of Lake Michigan in Mequon, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee, is an institution that is committed to excellence in learning, but at the same time realizes that excellence in itself is insufficient without development in vocation. We believe that God works through our vocations. 
our callings in order to serve the needs of those around us. The mission statement of Concordia University puts it this way, Concordia University, Wisconsin is a Lutheran higher education community committed to helping students develop in mind, body, and spirit for service to Christ in the church and the world. You can learn more about the over 70 programs offered at Concordia by visiting the website, www.cuw.edu. And if you're benefiting from our Christ in Every Word podcast, I encourage you to support this ministry by mentioning it to others and by offering your monetary support. Please consider supporting the Concordia Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on the Contribute page. And now, back to the podcast. Alrighty there, folks. We are back with our study of Revelation chapter 11. We just got into this business of the two witnesses. As the chapter continues, we'll hear more about them. In verse 4, it's two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. This language of olive tree and lampstand, kind of an interesting, maybe strange um, imagery. It comes from Zechariah. In Zechariah, you get uh, you get a lot of attention on both Zerubbabel and Joshua, which is kind of an interesting spread. Zerubbabel's in the line of David; he's the royalty. He's the you'll see him in the lineage of Jesus, Zerubbabel. Uh, and at the same time, Joshua's a high priest. Yeshua. This is after the exile. This is like the Lord raising up king and priest in the midst of of death prophet is involved too you can read the the book of Haggai here Haggai is a prophet and he speaks to Zerubbabel king and Joshua priest prophet priest and king the Lord is still working that out in the midst of of death and exile well two olive trees two lampstands in Zechariah you get this you get more imagery about what this is all about um but anyway there is this again this is the the life of the church olive trees Lamp stands. This is rich for what the church is. The Son of Man vision early in the chapter, early in the book, chapters two and three. I'll remove your lampstand out of your place. Uh, Christ as the light of the world, and this business of a church being a particular place of a lampstand. So they bear light, and the olive trees. There is this, what um, I'm like a green olive tree in the house of the Lord, ever full of sap and green. We're nourished, we're rooted there. Um, What flows, you know, this idea of things continue to flow there. Olive trees and lampstands witness, stand before the Lord of all the earth. If anyone would harm them, fire pours out of their mouth and consumes their enemies. This is a very rich connection to chapter 10 because out of the mouth, again, John talks a lot about that, take, eat, the business of the mouth, sweet in the mouth, bitter in the stomach. Out of their mouth goes fire, and it consumes their enemies. Same word for consume, take and eat. And John eats that, and then what happens? The Lord's church speaks the word, and it consumes. Do you see that? Take and consume, and by doing so, that is how the enemies are consumed. 
by what comes out of the mouth. So take this in your mouth, consume it, take and eat. And by means of that, here, chapter 11, the enemy is consumed. Okay, these plays on words are throughout the book of Revelation. I want to make sure you see the same exact word that's used a couple times for John on an individual perspective is true of the church at large, a more corporate perspective, in chapter 11. Okay, that's the life of the church. Witness um, what has been consumed there, and for those who are resistant, it will consume them. Um, if anyone does, wants to do them harm, this is how it is necessary. Literally, I'm just looking at the original here. It is necessary that they'll, be, that they'll die in this way, that the, the word of the Lord will not be broken. It will endure forever. Not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. They have the power to shut the sky so that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. This is like, again, we've kind of seen this throughout the, the four horsemen, throughout the, the trumpets being blasted, the kind of, and chapter 9 especially, the kind of the locusts and the plagues and all that. The spiritual drought. The spiritual drought that will, that will happen by means of the church speaking God's word. No rain will fall. They have power of the waters to turn them into blood, to strike through every kind of plague as often as they desire. Again, this is, again, this kind of connection to the fact that as the word of the Lord goes forth, think about as those seals were opened, earlier chapters, um, as the trumpets sounded, the plagues, these spiritual plagues happen even right here, right now. Okay? When they have finished their testimony, when it is fulfilled, when the Lord has made sure that the word of the Lord goes forth and accomplishes all the things for which he sends it, then the beast from the, uh, will arise, that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. Okay, so the word that they speak will, to some extent, bring resistance, and this covers the full spectrum, even up to and including death. But again, it's in the Lord's hand. Their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that is symbolically called Sodom in Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. Okay, this is kind of an interesting, like, what is this all about? Um, Sodom, Egypt, this is kind of the representative of, like, this is the world that we live in. This is the brokenness of our sinful world. Um, and yet, this is also where the Lord was crucified. This is like he suffered outside the camp, the author to Hebrews writes in chapter 13 a couple times. So let us therefore go with him and suffer with him outside the camp. Like you're in the safe zone of the city. Um, what happens? He suffers outside the camp. He's put to death outside the camp, outside the city walls. And here it's the people who speak the Lord's word. The church is, as it were, um, killed outside the camp by means of this broken world, Sodom and Egypt, this twisted generation. But yet at the same time, this is exactly where our Lord was crucified. We are with him in this. We go. He goes before us. We take up our cross and we follow him. And that it's never meaningless or purposeless as we take our hits uh, and are our, our, uh, taking up our cross and living and dying with the Lord. For three and a half days, some of the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. 
And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and exchange presents because these two prophets have been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. Okay. Um, three and a half days. First thing is like, what's happening here? Um, being disgraced by the world, not even letting them be buried. In fact, this 10, I love the language of 10 in a sense. This like rejoicing and giving thanks. This is the language all over the book of Psalms. It's like an anti-liturgy. They're like giving gifts to each other. There's an exchange of an exchange of cash, you might say, presents. There's money in it when you go after Christians. There's there's a kind of riches. You can get rich. You can there's there's value from this world, in this world, going after persecuting Christians. They're excited because what? They've been a torment, a reminder of what God's will for humanity and so on. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life entered them. They stood up on their feet. Great fear fell on those who saw them. This is an amazing thing. First thing first, the three and a half days, why did he switch from the 1260? Notice in the beginning of this chapter is what? 1260 days, 42 months, it's three and a half years. Why do you go from three and a half years to three and a half days? It's a unique thing, and it's only here that this happens. It's, it's caused a lot of dispute. <laughs> We're not really sure. My sense on it is this. Three and a half is just a part of the seven, not the full thing. I talked about that earlier. To go to days makes it even a part of the part. It seems like it's just a slim, like, day is like day to day, this kind of, this is such a small chunk of the three and a half years. It's like there's a lot of these three and a half days in the three and a half years, which itself is smaller than the seven. In other words, this is the sort of regular reality that's going to be happening again and again and again. And that is, take and eat, John, chapter 10. You must prophesy again to nations and languages and tongues and peoples. Okay. And then what happens? The church speaks the word. After consuming what it's consumed, it then speaks the word that consumes the foe at a corporate level. What happens? That word is spoken even unto death. Killed, um, killing the old flesh, killed by the world. What kind of death did you, is it death to the self, death to the world? Even if it's like death, death, like physical death. I will give you a breath of new life. You must prophesy again. Take eat. You must prophesy again. Speak the word even unto death. Whatever kind of death that word brings about, I will give you a breath of new life. Again and again and again and again. Three and a half days. A breath of spirit. I love this language of spirit because what is it? John is... I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. There's there's a dying and rising here. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. There is like a dying and rising. It has everything to do with being in the spirit. And that happens on the Lord's day. In the divine service, there's your breath of new life. Take, eat. You're in the spirit. Lord's day. Take, eat. A breath of new life. Go prophesy again. John and the church corporate, the church triumphant. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. They went up in heaven in a cloud. Their enemies watched them. This is totally the ascension, isn't it? Our Lord was received by a cloud. 
Okay, their enemies are watching on. Um, this is also our story. You're baptized into Christ. His burial is your burial. His death is your death. His burial, your burial. His resurrection, your, re- your resurrection. His ascension, your ascension. He's raised you up already in baptism, seated you with himself in the heavenly places. There's a great earthquake. Tenth of the city fell. Guess what happened? 7,000 people were killed in it. The rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Huge moment in the book of Revelation. How many times have we seen they did not repent? They did not repent. What if we just add torment? Nope, it doesn't work. What finally causes people in here in Revelation thus far to give glory to the God of heaven? It's the witnessing. Then they will know we are Christians by our love. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. This witnessing factor has an even more profound effect on others than any sort of like increased torment. Just rev it up again and again and again. 7,000 people were killed, but the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Usually 7,000 is just the, that's like in Elijah. Is anybody else with me in this? Yeah, I haven't. There's 7,000 who haven't given the knee to Baal. That's usually the remnant. Here, the remnant is who were killed, but the majority were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. That's how much emphasis is being placed here on the witness of the church on others. The second woe is passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. And then we have the seventh trumpet, which so much... In, so we finally get the seventh trumpet, which um, I'm not going to read the whole thing for the sake of time, but it's this: the 24 elders, everybody's there. Right, um, you get the sense of loud voices in heaven, the kingdom of the world. We give thanks to you. You begun to reign, rewarding your prophets, saints, and so on. In verse eighteen, then God's temple was opened. His ark was there. Flashes of lightning, heavy hail, and so on. You get the sense this is the culmination. This is the final. Revelation does a lot of sevens, and you get the one through th- one through four. It's kind of its thing. Five and six take a little more time. We're in the age of the six, the church age. But as Revelation gives you the full scope of things, it gives you this seventh. The look at the seventh, the fact that this is the end. Know the end. Be sure of the end. Here's the promised end, the guaranteed end. Live your life even right now, the day six stuff, in light of the day seven stuff, the rest, the final heavenly rest that you'll be getting. This seventh trumpet gives you a picture of it. And then uh, is just so very comforting for the church of all times and places to live out its existence in light of this end, this seventh trumpet blasting and so on. Big part of Revelation, that's kind of like the end of Act 1 of a two-act book, you might even say. I'll say more about that in the next podcast. But uh, praise the Lord for this wonderful book, and thank you for tuning in. That's all the time that we have for this particular session. But stay tuned, we'll do some more Revelation, lots more to come, some fun chapters ahead. The mission of the Concordia Bible Institute is to provide Christ-centered Bible instruction from distinguished experts who teach Christ in every word of the Old and New Testaments to strengthen faith and spread belief in the one true God. Again, if you benefit from this podcast series, I encourage you to consider supporting the Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on our Contribute page. Until next time, my friends, I'm Dr. Brian German, wishing you all God's blessings in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.